Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Well, hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, I don't have any comments today. In some ways, that's probably a really good thing because we, uh, we had to cut the program a little bit short last time. And it's not that the program is short. It's just that we, we are enjoying it so much. Well, on our last podcast, a woman's panel began helping me to discuss the women in Conrad's Heart of Darkness. And uh, for today's program, I want to continue our discussion. And so we're going to jump right back into it. So back in the studio with me today is my partner in literature and my sweet wife. Welcome back, Deborah. Thank you. I'm glad to be here again. Yes, I'm happy to have you here. And back with me also is one of my English literature students, Hannah. Welcome back, Hannah. Hello again. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm just happy to have you. So <laughs> so any other comments from last program? We kind of were short on the fates. I guess we did we discuss everything we needed to on the fates. There is a there is an attitude out there in the internet. I'm not sure if we should talk about it or not, but they feel like there is a third fate in the book. They're just not mentioned because there's always three in Greek mythology. So uh, uh, maybe we'll have to do some off, off taping talk about it before we we get into it. All right. There's uh, again one of the things we have to face that there is not many women in the book, and then also I think the last time we talked about the complaints that uh, the women that are in the book they really don't have they're never given a name. But but in some ways they do have status. I mean, if if we if we really think about it, that I think the the feminists feel like these women don't have status or they don't have pull or they don't have impact, and yet we know the ant, you know, had incredible impact. And uh, the the thing with the two fates, it just seems like um, they're they're kind of like a symbol of the way the company is. They they're claiming civilization, uh, and again, we don't know. We don't know what race they are. We don't know if they're Belgian. You know, we don't know if they're African. We don't know very much about them. But all we know is that they they could give a weird impression because they're knitting all the time. And then, <laughs> then the one of them just sits in a chair with a cat on her lap. And uh, you know, as as I said in class one time, it seemed like that's kind of scary. Like, which it's almost like something you would see at Halloween time or something like that. But there, there is, there's also another um, woman in the book that you can miss, and uh, I, I'd like to talk about that. And that's, this is the woman in the oil painting. And uh, you, it's easy to pass over it, but, but if you go back a little bit, and I'm, I'm going to go back to uh, page 34, when uh, we discussed this in the men's panel, is that, that uh, how Marla learns about Kurtz and the one way that that he learns about Kurtz is from the agents. He he keeps going. He goes from one station to the central station. And he keeps moving, and he's he's moving closer and closer to Kurtz. And uh, you know, in in, uh, in in one of these, uh, you know, um, one of the 
the managers is uh, you know kind of rude. It's kind of big, you know. As as uh, Hannah was talking when we were off um, off taping, that, that he's kind of like a ghost, you know. And and so so, but but here is this really interesting fellow that um, that he meets, and it's like uh, you know. The, the, of course, we know the accountant from last time. We talked about the accountant that he's really neatly dressed all the time, and you know, in his office, it's absolutely, you know. Uh, perfectly clean, you know, his books are good, but if you go outside and you see the company, you know, the equipment is rusting, you know, there's there's uh, the uh, the local indigenous people are sick, they're dying, they're they're abused, they you know, they're they're slaves, and then you know the company is supposed to be establishing civilization and it's it's falling apart, but uh, but here he meets what what he calls a first class agent, and um, uh, I'm going to read from. Uh, you know, page 61. And this, this first-class agent, he calls him, really is into culture and really is, uh, you know, he, he's really kind of interesting. And uh, it he, he says here, it says, I had no idea why he wanted to be social, but as we chatted uh, in there, it suddenly occurred to me the fellow was trying to get at some something, in fact, pumping me. He alluded constantly to Europe, to the people I was supposed to know there, putting leading questions as to my acquaintances in the sepulchral city and so on. His little eyes glittered like mica discs, and curiosity, though, he tried to keep up a bit of superciliousness. At first I was astonished, but very soon I became awfully curious to see what he would find out from me. I could possibly imagine what I had in me to make it worth his while. It was very pretty to see how he baffled himself, for in truth my body was full of only of chills, and my head had nothing in it but the wretched steamboat business. It was evident he took me for a perfectly shameless prevaricator. At last he got angry, and to conceal a movement of furious annoyance, he yawned. I rose. Then I noticed a small sketch in oils on a panel representing a woman draped, blindfolded, and carrying a lighted torch. The background was somber, almost black, the movement of the woman was stately, and the effect of the torchlight on the face was sinister. Now he goes on to say, it arrested me, and he stood by civilly, holding an empty half-pint champagne bottle, and he put in parentheses, medical comforts, with a candle stuck in it. To my question, he said, Mr. Kurtz had painted this in this very station more than a year ago while waiting for means to go to his trading post. Tell me, pray, I said, I, who is this Mr. Kurtz? So, so what I want to ask you, who's the woman in the oil painting? Okay, I have an idea. All <laughs> so. right, I'm not surprised you do. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you, if you look at it, it's, we don't know, um, we just know that she's a woman, she's draped, we don't know what she's draped in, except that the background is somber, off, uh, almost black, but she's blindfolded, carrying a lighted torch. So to me, I was thinking well, it could be she's symbolic of the um, Western civilization, European civilization, um, and it, you know, it's, it's lighted, carrying a lighted torch to bring civilization, education to Africa or to the, you know to the continent. But it's blindfolded, so it doesn't know how it's doing it. In other words, where it's been blind, it's 
it's not that it's just blind, like you didn't wasn't born blind, but it's been it has been blindfolded. So somebody has something has made it so that it it, it can't see. It's not it does it's not going in a, you know good good direction. It doesn't know what it's doing, but it, it's carrying a lighted torch. So anyway, so that's my thought. All so right, I, that's interesting, Hannah. Mm-hmm. I actually had a very similar thought, and we didn't even talk about it. So that's <laughs> great minds think alike. Mm-hmm. But I was just thinking, I don't believe it's any woman in particular if it's at this point he hadn't yet moved entirely into the interstation so I don't think it would have been his mistress but I do think that it would paint a picture more of civility and how in a place like the Congo it has been blinded and tainted by the savagery that's there because its intent was to bring light but of course if you are around anything for so long it starts to rub off on you so I think that their goal was then tainted a little bit by the environment that they were in. And then if you think about most countries, they have, I mean, America, we have Lady Liberty, France has Patria. So the it's oftentimes that these ideas and these concepts of freedom and civility and things like that are typified as a woman. So that's where I was Even going. Justice. Mm-hmm. Justice. And justice, justice. Mm-hmm. with justice the scales. Right. Yes. Got the scales so mm-hmm. I think that's interesting symbolism mm-hmm. that they're using a woman who's blindfolded mm-hmm. um, as this. But it's also a beautiful painting. And it's also one of the first times he hears of Kurtz. So it could be a symbol or a factor that points to Kurtz's state of mind. Um, because this is he was meant to carry the torch but at this point he's starting to become more greedy and want more mm-hmm. ivory so i think it's how he's turning away mm-hmm. from the light and turning a blind eye to right. his initial goal mm-hmm. all right well <clears throat> all right now i have my ideas <laughs> all right for one one thing is i think the painting does tell us something about kurtz one he obviously is pretty smart he's obviously you know he, I, I think when I was reading some other background, did you know he was a journalist? Did you know that? Yeah. Just from class. <laughs> yeah, okay. So he was a journalist. Mm-hmm. So he was he was a writer, and of course he he does write his opus, mm-hmm. you know, about how they're going to bring mm-hmm. civilization. And then at the end, he says, "Kill them all," mm-hmm. you know. So obviously he he went downhill. But but the thing is, this guy is really in the culture. If he can paint this beautiful oil painting. You know, so but but as an artist, most artists would need a model to work from, and so so I'm, I've been out trying to thank you two all afternoon. <laughs> so so now I, I think Hannah is right. He probably would not have met the mistress yet because he's just getting there. So I don't know if it was the mistress, but he obviously had. A model, or he had something in his mind that he could, he could, um, could use to to paint this woman. Now, the the thing is, I think I, I can say this. I can agree with you, Deborah, that she's sinister. She's got a sinister look on her face, mm-hmm. and so so something has changed. If she was to bring light, now she's blindfolded, but she's got a sinister look on her face. So so in other words, there's evil afloat. Mm-hmm. You know, even though there's light. Mm-hmm. There's evil afloat, and and uh, you know if if uh, people out there are also following the Trumpet Daily, uh, which I hope you are following, and if you're not following it, I mean I'm happy you're listening to this program, but you need to listen to the Trumpet Daily as well, 
because it, it's really going to give you the truth that's going on right now. But but if but uh, Mr. Stephen Fleury has been talking about the devil, Satan, the devil. He comes as an angel of light, and yet he's sinister. I mean, he's got sinister motives, and and so uh, uh, you know, did Kurtz even at that time? I, I would I would say maybe this this uh, oil painting should give us some insight into Kurtz. Would he have already seen? something sinister you know it, it, it does I think Hannah's right I think it does represent European civilization and it did want to bring light but there's a sinister motive behind it so so anyway now he could have done it I mean for all the feminists out there they're going to say why pick a woman <laughs> you know why, why not pick a man blindfold him and have him run around you know with the candle <laughs> but but the the, the, the thing is even America is seen as a woman. I mean, if you look at the French Revolution, you know, they had the paintings of the French Revolution, there'd be the women draped in French flags, you know, there's a woman, uh, you know, represented in America and all that. And so, so I, I think, I mean, you could correct me on this, but I think civilization is supposed to be nurturing. And I, I mean, there are, I know we have so much, you know, with gender identity right now, but God created men to be men. He created women to be women. Women are to be nurturing. Men are to be out there, what, conquering, building civilization, building society. So, so I don't think he's off by having, you know, curse paint a woman. But anyway, there's a woman in the book. So, so for all you women that don't think there's enough, there's actually one more you may have forgotten. So that's why, <laughs> that's why I brought that up. All right. But it is interesting with the first-class agent that uh, he obviously thinks that uh, um, he obviously thinks that painting is beautiful enough that he wants it in his apartment, you know. So, so he definitely wants the cult, the culture. All right, all right. This is what we've all been waiting for. Let's talk about the mistress. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Can I just read the quote? Mm-hmm. Can I read it to you? Because I think quote. this mm-hmm. is some of the best writing I've ever read in my life. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to me, this woman, every time I read this, the woman comes alive in my brain. And uh, tell you what, she's scary. <laughs> All right. So uh, uh, anyway, uh, to make a long story short, they do... Uh, Marlowe does finally find Kurtz. We're going to be talking about Kurtz here in the next couple of weeks, and uh, then we'll be moving on to Lord Jim. So, uh, but but this uh, the, again in uh, in my book I'm reading the the Barnes and Noble is page 106, and in the Bantam it's page 91. But here's how he describes her. It says, and from right to left along the lighted shore moved a wild and gorgeous apparition of a woman. He says, she walked with measured steps, draped in striped and fringed cloths, treading the earth proudly with a slight jingle and a flash of barbarous ornaments. She carried her head high. Her hair was done in the shape of a helmet. She had brass leggings to the knee, brass wire gauntlets to the elbow, a crimson spot on her tawny cheek, innumerable necklaces of glass beads on her neck, Bizarre things, charms, gifts of witch men that hung about her glittered and trembled at every step. 
She must have had the value of several elephant tusks upon her. Listen to this. She was savage and superb, wild-eyed and magnificent. There was something ominous and stately in her deliberate progress. And in the hush that had fallen suddenly upon the whole sorrowful land, the immense wildness, well, excuse me, the immense wilderness, the colossal body of the fecund and mysterious life seemed to look at her pensive as though it had been looking at the image of its own tenebrous and passionate soul. <laughs> so let's talk about this mistress. I get chills just reading that. <laughs> Same. <laughs> <laughs> well, for one, I think that this this is very reflective of today's society. I think women really crave this sort of appearance. They want to be fierce. If you think about a lot of women, I went to high school with a lot of girls that wanted to be in politics. They want to be lawyers. They just want to be on top. They want to be strong and powerful. And obviously the Bible, I mean, Proverbs 31 woman, she's very strong and she is powerful, but in the right way. Um, so I, just reading this again, it just kind of reminded me of um, a sort of Joan of Arc sort of deal. She's dressed in like this ethereal battle armor. I mean, it talks about these leggings down to the knees made of brass, wire gauntlets to the elbow, just all of these things that basically makes her seem like a warrior. So I think that's, I mean, it's powerful imagery. I think it's beautiful. Um, but it is very interesting because they're all very intimidated of her. And even on the next page, it talks about, um, oh, if I can find it. Let's see. Yes. Okay. So it's in the next page. It says, suddenly she opened her bared arms and threw them up rigid above her head as though in an uncontrollable desire to touch the sky. And then it goes on to finish. And then it said, the last sentence of that paragraph is a formidable silence hung over the scene. I just think that's amazing, just the power she held over these people. Yeah. Um, and even in the Willow Carr article, when when it's talking about this, she believes that because she's savage, it's because of her skin color, which I disagree with thoroughly. Because if you read the rest of the book, I mean, it talks about the scene about where they are. and. The mistress, I mean, she's participating in all of these things. I mean, it talks about spikes are impaled in yeah, through heads. On, right, heads so it's spikes. just a it's a dangerous area. I don't think it's just because of that um, that fact. I think just their actions alone are what makes someone savage. So I think that's a very interesting um, an interesting character. I can see why people would think that it's sexist in some ways, but also it it kind of lends itself to some controversy to have it be so dangerous and so beautiful at the same time. Yeah. So I think uh, Conrad did an excellent job of writing her. I think she's the most interesting character yeah, apart no, from Kurt. Yeah, I love that line. She was savage and superb, wild eyes and magnificent. There was something ominous and stately in her deliberate progress. I mean, she reminds me of, um, you know, when you go back to Henry the Sixth. You know, she reminds me of, of his wife. You know, she was savage like that. I mean, she she fought the War of the Roses. You know, I mean, she was uh, she, she wasn't even a French princess. Her father, you know, was uh, you know one of the I guess uh, earls or you know he was uh, very wealthy in France, but uh, she was tough cookie. Mm-hmm. You know, she was she was really like that. So uh, uh, go ahead, Deborah. Well, I I think what's interesting in terms of this article is that I do agree with where she says in some ways that 
that she's almost almost like symbolic of of the jungle and the Congo mm-hmm. and and of Marlowe's um, um, the way he felt about it because there's this fear there's a mixture of fear but also um, you know it's it mixed emotions you know like the emotions excited excited him about traveling in and a lot of the for the men there a lot of them was to get ivory for him it was more he just wanted to travel to Congo but there's that ex, that excitement of traveling and it but also was mixed with the fear and the unknown and what's going on so I think she mm. kind of symbolizes that well he definitely says that I mean he definitely does compare her to the land to the immense mm-hmm. wildness or mm-hmm. I call it wildness but it's mm-hmm. really wilderness mm-hmm. there but but the, the the thing is I mean she she definitely if you look at Kurtz Kurtz was like a god mm-hmm. you know to the people he really had power over them mm-hmm. and the the point is I think you know you could miss if you're you know if you're not careful I mean the femi- as a as a woman she wanted the same thing a man wanted and and she she could terrify people to get power over them. I mean, and that's what made her savage, as as Hannah said. You know, she's not afraid to take someone's head off and put it on a pike. You know, she's she's uh, you know, I think as as Hannah and I were talking about earlier, you know, she eats pig. You know, mm-hmm. she eats. You know, you can see them. You know, slaying animals and eating. You know, cooking in them and eating them. And uh, you, you know, it's it's. Um, um, Maybe we could go back to, you know, the blind woman, you know, the blindfolded woman with a light. How does that blindfolded woman with a light deal with someone like this? Mm-hmm. I mean, how how can you begin to civilize that? And uh, you know, it, I mean, how much influence did she have on Kurtz becoming Kurtz the way he was? I mean, think about it. I mean, yeah. that's mm-hmm. that's that's questions that don't come up in some of these anti-Conrad, sexist, you know, mm-hmm. racist. He also, he also, I mean, the, I think she also makes the comment that, that he's a racist because he, he uh, calls her a savage. Mm-hmm. And it, it said she had tawny skin. What would tawny mean there? You know, what would that mean, tawny? What does that mean as a word? I'd, I'd have to look that up. I wish I'd looked it up before I came in here. Is it tan? Is it? I, I think of tawny. I think is more of a of a tan, like light brown color. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think of. I'm not sure. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so the thing is, he said she had a tawny cheek. So, you know, was she a product of a mixed relationship? You don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that, that's what I would think tawny might mean is that she would be light. I, I mean, if if you look at how in some ways, how Conrad describes, you know, when he first gets there, remember he's on the French steamer, and he's tired because they stop at all these ports, and the thing that inspires him, he sees a canoe full of native men Mm. who are happy, they're singing, he said that's like his first touch with reality, Mm -hmm. and everything else is like this dream sequence, I mean, everything he goes through is like this unusual dream, and so so it's, it's almost like she would, you know, she would absolutely represent, you know, the 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 local civilization, and again, 
I mean, all that, all those things that are on her, you know, the, the one way they got ivory was giving them brass. That's how they got ivory. So, so she obviously likes all that wealth. She's covered with it, but it's also she's a warrior as well. And so, so in other words, what an enigma around her. Mm-hmm. What was she like? But, uh, but, but notice what, what um, you know, she's coming towards the senior, the, the steamer, excuse me. So she came abreast of the steamer and stood still and faced us. Her long shadow fell to the water's edge. Her face had a tragic and fierce aspect of wild sorrow and of dumb pain, uh, dumb pain mingled with the fear of some struggling, half-shaped resolve. She stood looking at us without a stir, and, and like for the wilderness itself, with an air of brooding over an inscrutable purpose. A whole minute passed, and then she made a step forward. There was a low jingle, a glint of yellow metal, a sway of fringed draperies, and she stopped as if her heart had failed her. The young fellow by my side growled. The pilgrims murmured at my back. She looked at us all as if her life had depended upon the unswerving steadiness of her glance. Suddenly, she, as, as Hannah read this, suddenly she opened her bared arms, threw them up rigid above her head as though an uncontrollable desire to touch the sky, and at the same time the swift shadows darted out on the earth, swept around on the river, gathering the steamer into a shady, shadowy embrace. A formidable silence hung over the scene. Then she turned away slowly, walked on, following the bank, and passed into the bushes to the left. Once only her eyes gleamed back at us, in the dusk of the thicket before she disappeared. And then notice one guy in the ship said, if she had come up for it, I would have shot her. <laughs> yeah, you big chicken. Yeah. It's all right. So anyway, um, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't relate uh, Conrad being sexist or racist with this character. I mean, she's part of the whole scene at that time. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, before it's all over, <laughs> we're almost all over again. Let's talk about the intended. Let's go on. All right, so I want to read a little bit about her. And this will be my page 111 for the, for the no, 120. Maybe be my page for the Bantam, it's 111. So you can see that uh, my pages are bigger and it's easier to see in the studio. That's why I'm doing it this way. All right, so uh, so if you know the story, he gets a bunch of uh, uh, Kurtz dies, and then uh, no no spoiler there, I'm sure, but Kurtz dies, and he gives him papers to take home back home to uh, to Belgium. And he's supposed to take them to the intended, and uh, you know he gets in there with the intended. It says the dusk was fail- falling. I had to wait in a lofty drawing room with three long windows from floor to ceiling that were uh, like three luminous and bedraped columns. The bent gilt legs and backs of furniture shone in indistinct curves. The tall marble fireplace had a cold and more monumental whiteness. So, so here we come back to the, the colors. Um, you know, we're out of the darkness. We're back into the whiteness. A grand piano stood massively in a corner with dark gleams on the flat surface like a somber and polished sarcophagus. A high door opened closed. I rose. So, so here... I mean, he's not picking on her. She comes into the room. He stands up. You know, I mean, Marlowe stands up, and uh, and it really shows her respect. She came forward all in black with a pale head floating towards me in the dusk. She was in mourning. 
It was more than a year since her since his death. That more than a year since the news came, she seemed as though she would remember and mourn forever. She took both my hands in hers and murmured, I had heard you were coming. I noticed she was not very young. I mean, not girlish. She had a mature capacity for fidelity, for belief, for suffering. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the intended and how she compares with the mistress. Well, she she um, is definitely painted in, in light. There's I don't have them all written down, but um, you know it's, it's like she has she's she has um, uh, you know there's a contrast there basically with uh, the mistress and this lady, and um, you know the darkness is, deepens around her, but she she has there's light. Um, her hair, her, um, I can't see where I, where it is right there. So, but she she's really he kind of paints her as being naive, uh, you know, in terms of of um, just you know hanging on to uh, her belief that he w- was wonderful, a wonderful person, and um, you know just uh, really uh, that and this is where where um, Marlowe talks about. Um, it reinforces his belief that that women live in a dream world, <laughs> well insulated from reality, <clears throat> because she is um, she's been mourning um, basically, and um, she's dressed in black even though her her hair and is luminous about her face. Right. <clears throat> go ahead and I'll let mm-hmm. you go ahead and make a comment there, and then I want to sum that one up. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah. So she's obviously naive about things. I think it does go to show that women do tend to be more emotional and they do romanticize mm-hmm. things. So uh, the vision she still has of Kurtz is the man that um, that left all those years ago. I mean, if you think about it, she was waiting for him for years. I mean, right. they were going to get married, and at that time, I mean, he was a journalist, he was a musician, he was a painter, he was this all-around manly cultural renaissance, renaissance, renaissance man. man he was yeah, probably sure. very handsome like so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he was a catch i would say so of course i would mourn um but it's just interesting because i don't think she could have handled the heartbreak of what kurtz actually said i mean his intended was so far from his mind at that point i mean oh, yeah. he had the mistress he had the ivory i mean if the intended really meant that much to him he wouldn't have done all of those things so i do enjoy her character a little bit i i do feel bad for her um but i do hope she moves on at some point but it's just interesting that she continues to view him as he was um without knowing him all that well at all right well, she's painted as like the angel or the mm-hmm. saint. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. she's got a halo around her head and, and all that. Mm-hmm. But but the the, 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 th- the thing is, what I think what Conrad says about her is true. You know, is that she, you know, she was living in a dream world. Mm-hmm. You know, she she. There are some people that can do that. I mean, you can you could see all the truth you want to on television. They still won't think it's true. And then, of course, we're being lied to quite a bit, but but it just seems like there are some people that can, um, you know, uh, just live live life that way. They're they're not living in reality, and it's almost like she's one. It's like she's living in a dream sequence, or mm-hmm. like she's living in this un- unusual mm-hmm. dream. But but I think there are a lot of people at that time did that. I mean, they, she's obviously wealthy. You know, she obviously has her ideals. And so, uh, uh, but but the, the the point is, 
um, you know, why she waited that long. I know there are other people have done that, but uh, you know, you can you can do that and then really suffer at the same time. I think so. I was I, I was going to say something really interesting <clears throat> is that it says that she she did something resembled the gesture of of the mistress because she she raised her mm. um, her arms. <clears throat> it says right at the very end there, she. Um, be decked with powerless charms but she stretched you know she she raised her arms and as it was similar and familiar to the gesture and another another one tragic also be decked with powerless charms um stretcher so he was he's saying that that she raised her arms kind of like the mistress had right right so it's interesting what did, what happened to both of them they both mm -hmm. lost kurtz yeah. right mm -hmm. yeah so well that's all the time mm -hmm. we have for today's program and uh, I think we've covered enough on the intended. And so uh, uh, next time, I'm going to begin our discussion of Kurtz. So uh, you can buy Heart of Darkness at Amazon.com. You may also be able to find a good used copy at abebooks.com. And you may also be able to find a copy in your local bookstore. Of course, you can also check your local, local library. Now, in a few weeks, we will begin our discussion of Lord Jim. So you may also want to buy a copy of that book as well. And if you think Heart of Darkness is a challenge, wait till we get to Lord Jim. <laughs> it is a real challenge. So please write me any comments you may have to jbl at pcog.org. You can follow JBL on Twitter at jbliterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for just the best literature. So until next time, keep reading. You've been listening to Just the Best Literature on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG. Streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.